0: hello everyone and thank you for joining us this is controlling commodity costs and we are your hosts craig turner and tom Dazel. we are your authority to gain control of your commodity exposure stay ahead of the competition and maximize your profit margins this podcast is brought to you by stonex group a fortune 100 company with a 100 year history
1: in the commodity markets you can find us on the nasdaq All right. Welcome to the July Market Update episode. It's Tom Dostal here with Craig Turner. Craig, good afternoon. Hey, Tom. Good
0: afternoon, indeed. And just a short while ago, we had the Fed uh, make an announcement, and they're they're raising interest rates again by a quarter point after taking a pause.
1: Raising interest rates, yeah, and pretty much as expected, I'd say. And expecting to see a bit of a pause here from now till the end of the year. So. Uh, initial market reaction, it does look like maybe some of those dovish comments on the pause period ahead or what was more of interest because you're seeing that US dollar start to decline a bit. And uh, I don't know, is that something we're going to see more of between now and when we do our next market update episode in August? Is it is it going to be a weaker dollar?
0: Yeah, I
1: think um,
0: it, it could be right. It, um, I don't know. I mean, if we're going to keep interest rates here, maybe maybe go up another quarter. Uh, let me put it this way between now and the end of the year, I'd be surprised if we're over six or or under five, and that kind of keeps the dollar I think you know it's just gonna depend on what other banks do, right if other banks are raising interest rate to fight you know to basically you know fight inflation, then more you know more funds are gonna go into those currencies where their interest rates are increasing, especially if they start going over what the United States interest rate is and they're gonna play that interest rate differential. So it kind of depends on other central banks, but I mean I don't see any real reason for the dollar to rally hard. I mean that'd be the the my my major takeaway and we'll see. We'll see if it you know we're still relatively high that index being one being one hundred. But yeah. yeah, I mean I think and I don't and as far as the grain and oil seed markets go, you know, if if we didn't have the change in acres that we saw and the weather issues and what's going on in the black sea i think the currency would have a bigger bigger effect but you know it isn't a case where all things are held equal it's it, i think like the what's been going on in the grain markets for the past month or two probably outweigh what's happening with the dollar
1: yeah why don't we talk about the grains for a little bit so we had the july wasdi and i think we'll pick this up after the august WASD uh, next month but um going back uh to kind of mid part of july usda reduced the estimated u.s corn yield in that report although not as much as expected and soybean yield was left unchanged uh new crop corn stocks came in about as expected in that report but soybeans were much higher uh thanks to the yield staying the same and demand also being reduced for soybeans so we had soybeans down pretty hard off that report um, mm-hmm. Wheat stocks were up compared to June, also based on larger crops, larger crop sizes um, out there in the US in particular.
0: Yeah. And my, so one thing I like about the July WASD or what I look forward to is that is the first time when the USDA gives you the wheat ending stocks by class breakdown. Because, yeah, you know, for our listeners, just so you know, in May is when the USDA releases their supply and demand tables for new crop, and you get to see all these updates on new crop, corn, wheat, soybeans, but for wheat in the May report, it's just all wheat. They don't break it down by class. In July, they did. I did. I was a little surprised. I thought, I personally thought that we would see a bigger increase in the soft red winter wheat, that Chicago wheat contract uh, ending stocks just because we increased acres by 15% yields are pretty good but the usage went up because you know the we do, we are tight worldwide in wheat and there has to be some kind of makeup in usage and the USDA is estimating that we are going to use more of that Chicago wheat so ending stocks didn't balloon as much as i thought they would on the flip side of that the Kansas City wheat ending stocks Weren't as bad as I thought they would, probably because you know wherever there is some switching demand that you could see it, and I thought the Minneapolis wheat was you know fairly, you know, came in as a, as expected. Wheat stocks though are still going to be tight. When you take a look also at the WASD, they have that you can derive what the major exporters have in terms of ending stocks are projected to be. We're going to be tight again. If there was one big theme that I took away from that WASD report is you know, wheat will be tight. We're gonna have to have price rationing. You know, if we remember before COVID, wheat was four, five, six bucks. I mean, when I look at that WASDE report, I'm thinking six, seven, eight dollars between the three major classes. Um, there's really no reason to, you know, break down below six if we're gonna be that tight. And the risk to the upside is gonna be if you have a production issue or continue to get worse in the Black Sea, right? You could see something like that. And then you're right, Tom, on the, on the soybeans, US well, State I'll jump talk, in there on yeah, the wheat, go ahead. Frank. Yeah, get it.
1: Sure, uh, sure. On the wheat, yeah. Talk about production risk, right? I mean, world production too. We got a couple spots in the world. There's two things to talk about: U.S. stocks, and then also what's going on in the rest of the world. I think some of the production risks highlighted right now, up in Canada, where it's uh, it's been a hot and dry summer thus far. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some relief here seen lately in July, but probably looking at Canada production coming down, which is somewhat of a bullish driver in the wheat market. Um, world demand stays strong uh, as well. I think we've, uh, we, we went through a headline a couple of weeks ago with India banning the exports uh, of non basmati rice, which comprises 40% of world rice exports, and maybe put a, I remember the wheat market that day, that headline broke, rallied on the potential shifting in demand into uh, maybe a bit more on wheat uh, if, if we're limited in terms of world rice exporters, just for human food consumption. But on the production side, uh, Canada is probably the main one right now. Maybe more on the bearish side is the size of the Russian and EU crops and exports at the moment. Um, but like you said, the, the headline risk uh, really has been something in July that has driven the wheat market, most notably as uh, the, the expiration of the Ukraine export corridor and subsequent attacks, missile attacks, drone attacks on Ukraine port facilities.
0: So basically since that war started, Europe has been able to find a way to export about 60% of grain and oil seeds from Ukraine into Europe and eventually get them uh, into a Baltic or like uh or, or some kind of port and out of the EU. And then the other 40% was being done through the, uh, doing through the, the the Black Sea. And with losing the Black Sea export corridor now the EU needs to find a way to export all the the grain and oil seed out of Ukraine, you know, through Europe. We'll see how that works. I'm sure they could do it. It's just gonna cost more. And then most likely Russia. They, when they came out with their statement that they all you know they can ship you know all the grain and oil seed, really mostly grain that Africa needs, because they were the ones who were probably left in the lurch the most with that Black Sea export corridor deal being done away with. So yeah, it's gonna raise. It's gonna keep prices elevated. I think you're right on the on the Canadian. We could be three, four million metric tons lower in production. I think the hardest hit is gonna be that. From just talking to the Canadian producers up there and some of the guys that follow that market, the the biggest concern on a percentage wise of lost production sounds like it's gonna be Durham, uh, which doesn't really trade in the futures market so much, but it's certainly a huge part of you know, pasta Durham you know for our listeners that don't know the durham wheat is really what uh you know, what pasta is made out of and that could be a problem right that could that could be high prices on on that market uh that would go all the way to the consumer you know for the next year or so
1: what's a good cross hedge then on durham would you be using that higher protein like uh, kansas city wheat as I'd- a possible financial hedge uh spring wheat minneapolis I would probably be
0: looking at spring if we were going to do some kind of correlation, it would be it would have to be Minneapolis or Kansas City. It yeah. can't be can't be Chicago.
1: All right. So and on that wheat subject, um, just on the headline risk with the attacks, we saw that Kansas City, you know, it added about a dollar in price premium on the border trade in September futures there in the week on July twenty-sixth, selling off about fifty cents on headlines that the European Union said it would try to help Ukraine get all its exports out through Europe, which I think you alluded to. So market's been very sensitive to that headline risk in the wheat markets here lately. Um, and something that uh, maybe maybe some of those fears have been eased a little bit, at least lately, um, with uh, a pause in those attacks and with some of these political uh, aspirations to try to help Ukraine get bushels moved and, and even offset some of their transportation costs, I understand, uh, yeah. to move it out uh, out through Europe
0: yeah and if you're an end user i mean i mean one you have to be you know securing wheat on breaks here just because you got to take that risk and unknown off the table and then on the financial side the options are so expensive because of the uncertainty you almost have to use collars where you're just going to set a floor on the downside and protect yourself in case like the headline risk you're talking about and incorporate that to your marketing plan i don't I think the wheat market is the trickiest of all the the grain and oil seed markets right now. And I don't it's I don't maybe you think differently, but if it were me it'd be a combination of physical purchases and and collars, right? Just to make sure you're just not caught like we saw right after the first, you know, when Russia invaded Ukraine and we you know we went to 14 dollars you just don't want to be in that position
1: again you no know, I think that yeah what's a black swan type event to watch out for And and I've been discussing with clients is a lot of these attacks have been one way Russia and Ukraine right mm-hmm. it, it, and at some point does Ukraine I mean they seem to I don't think this is this is likely but if you were to see a Ukrainian attack or retaliation on a Russian port Right. And that's something the market has not priced in at all right now. And, and to this point, Russia continues to be the world's largest supplier of cheap wheat. Yeah. Uh, and their shipments really have gone on unaffected this past year. You know, the United Nations is not willing to really step in and, and they don't want to sanction wheat as a, as a food product and create a global food crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see some kind of retaliation on a Russian port, and we're starting to see attacks now creep into Russia. Um, That could be a real, that's one of those black swan things that I don't think the market's prepared for right now. We don't really know how we could handle that. I don't know if it's likely, I think Ukraine might lose a lot of goodwill if it it were to be seen as setting off a global food crisis, Um, lose some support from some of the folks that it needs, but I'm just putting that out there as a a potential, what if, you know, from, uh, if I'm on the buy side, what could that mean if that were to to happen? Yeah, you know what, You're, you're absolutely
0: right and honestly like the risk is to the upside i mean it, at best even with the tight stocks at best like you're going to have tight stocks for a while in in wheat and the thing is we'll produce a lot of wheat this year but you know 80% of the world's exportable wheat is produced in the northern hemisphere so 6 months from now when australia and argentina are producing wheat it'll be a nice shot to you know get you along but we're going to be dealing with a tight Wheat situation probably for another 12 months. So the downside, it's not like we're going back down to four bucks in wheat anytime soon. And when you start to, we're probably going to be elevated. And then when you talk about like what could go wrong, it's something like that with it, the tables being turned on Russia and their export grain. I mean, man, it, I mean, the long story short, there's more risk to the upside than the downside. And
1: so, yeah. Well, shifting gears into corn, you know, corn seems to have been taking a a follow from uh, what wheat's been doing the last couple of weeks on those, on those headlines, moving kind of equal on a near equal on a percent basis. But corn's had the added um, bullish driver here in July of a return of hot and dry weather.
0: Yeah. So I think the USDA had yields at like 177 and a half in the WASD, And I think the trade may have been a little bit disappointed in that, not too sure. I think yeah. a lot of analysts have it, the yields right now somewhere in the low seventies and there's a lot of debate about that too. One thing with corn, I'm always surprised at how well the corn crop handles heat and drought, yeah, you know, with the with the hybrids and the technology. But there's definitely yield loss out there. And it's just gonna be to the extent. You can also make the case demand hasn't been great and we you know, we may be too high on the feed number just because we don't have the animals that uh, that might require five point six billion or five point seven you know bushels of feed and the exports have been low and if uh and if South America has another good year this winter then those export numbers are likely too high also. So there's a couple of things going on in corn. And here we are, what, 550 in new crop or somewhere around there, which is fair. You know, yeah. and we'll just kind of have to you know, the major wild card here over the next couple of weeks is, you know, this heat and the, the dryness and the drought conditions. Um, and, yeah, so it, it'll be interesting. I think if you take a look at the balance sheets and the projections, maybe corn looks to be the most bearish compared to soybeans. It doesn't mean it's bearish, but just not as tight as wheat and soybeans are
1: yeah you know illinois saw some much needed rain there in middle july it helped stabilize crop ratings but really where it's been been bad here as the heat wave arrives in later july has been up in minnesota and uh and still really bad crops in missouri and the dakotas overall yeah Um, and that and that parlays into uh into soybeans conversation about soybeans i suppose as well um where, where like you said stocks are probably a little tighter
0: so yeah, stocks are probably a little tighter. Yeah, so just go back to corn real quick. I mean, when you take a look at, you know, when does corn get really tight and deserve to go like say above six bucks, you know, we gotta be a sub 170 yield, like maybe one hundred sixty seven. And then the market would get would really get pretty concerned where all of a sudden you have to start price rationing. And I don't think we're there yet. On the other side with soybeans, I mean we can't lose any yield. I mean, if we're at a fifty one or a fifty, I mean all of a sudden we're at 200 and below on the ending stocks because we lost that 4 million acres in the last report. We went from 87 and acres to 83. Now there's no room for error in the soybean market. They're not as sensitive to corn, but as Tom was saying, you know we've got all this, you know, the dryness and the heat, and beans are made in July and August, right? So while a lot of the corn may have been pollinating, you know, and a lot of it had gotten along especially in the southeast and the southern part a lot of the soybeans when they're in more of a a critical development time has been during like the heat wave so
1: yeah yeah i think we're 30 as of july 23rd last update we got was 35 percent of soybeans setting pods so you're absolutely yeah you're right 65 percent we're in that period where they're starting to set pods and and determine that yield so whether the next couple weeks looks like uh yeah hot Mostly dry chances for these severe storms in late July and, and early August. Maybe some cooler temps arriving by the, uh, or more moderate temps arriving by August 6 7 timeframe. Yeah. Um, and uh, maybe some better chances for the rain down in the south, but it looks like it stays dry in those northern states. So I don't know. Beans are right up here uh, looking at the November futures around 1420, you know. They're at the very upper end, testing a new contract high uh, breakout. That fourteen forty-five price from April of 2022 uh, is not far away. And if we break that, that's a new life of contract high and could, could open the charts up to looking a little more bullish. But um, soybean oil has been a driver of that market too, right? Demand on the bean oil.
0: Yeah, I mean, demand on bean oil is big. We're seeing continued growth in crush and we're gonna have the more demand as we, time goes on for renewable biodiesel and soybean oil is a big part of that along with canola so there is a natural demand dr- story for for soybean oil and vegetable oil while with corn and wheat we get if you get supply shocks you know we tend to you tend to stay elevated until the market's a little bit more comfortable with production or we see more production come on in the next cycle but soybean oil is different. Soybean oil is gonna be has a natural demand driver that is being driven by energy policy and per, and also implementation and more more crush capacity coming online you know, to, to meet the demand, not just you know in Canada, the United States. I mean, California is a huge driver of this. So, yeah. And the ex- EPA,
1: yeah. and the EPA, Craig, uh, this month too. Earlier this month, I think they denied all waiver requests. Um, from small refiners uh looking to to get out of their blending mandates so the government is is helping to push that demand story right now and you're seeing it reflected in the price um I think the crush report from earlier in July also showed you know it was pretty bullish in terms of soybean oil stocks they came in well below what trade estimates were at about 1.6 billion pounds Mm -hmm. trade was looking for I think 1.8 in that report and it indicated that Demand or consumption outstripping production, really for I mean we're in it right now. This is like one of the first times either the first or second month where that's happened. Yeah. So this push toward the renewable diesel for energy um, and soybean oil for that is is uh, we're we're starting to rubber's starting to hit the road a little bit in terms of that market right now.
0: Absolutely, and you can look at the old crop for soybeans right now. I mean it is going up much faster. The new crop, and it just shows how, you know, the crush is profitable, and they need, you know, they need the, they need the beans for the crush. I'll say something else too. If we take a look back at two thousand twelve and two thousand, I think it was seven and eight, last time we had, you know, when corn for ethanol, and we went back then when corn was going crazy and six, seven, eight dollars, uh, and we were expanding the mandates for corn for ethanol back then, going from basically. 1 billion of usage in 2007 all the way up to five billion bushels of usage in 2012 both administrations the Bush administration and the Obama administration did not take their did, did not relax mandates so I'm not surprised now you know that it's a you know and now we've got a third administration seeing the, you know seeing high food prices or seeing high soybean oil prices and they're not you know and they're staying the course too so I I am not expecting the EPA to to change much.
1: So it's looking at August soybean oil prices here right now. We went from forty-eight cents to on June first to about seventy-one cents here as it gets to late July. Um, end users, we'd probably be wanting to talk to our end user clients on any pullbacks here and trying to extend forward coverage out there. So. Um, anyone who wants uh, who's in that camp uh, soybean oil buyer you might uh, you might consider looking for our contact info in the show notes could be something um, to just talk strategy on as it goes forward here in the soybean oil yeah soybean oil and uh, and high
0: protein wheat are probably the ones you got to pay pay the most attention to where the risk is to the upside for sure
1: nice Um, should we uh, so should we wrap it up by talking a little bit about the energy markets as well yeah, I mean, listen.
0: Energy here, just from talking to some of our commercial traders, I know they think natural gas is a two-dollar, a, $2, a three-dollar market. No re- they don't see a reason to to jump above four, unless you know this winter we get a very cold winter, or you know something happens again between Russia and Europe, and you know cutting off energy gas, which certainly you know could happen. I think the you know the crude oil side is interesting because. You know, we're we've got high prices already. The economy isn't growing that much. If the economy really starts to take off, and economic activity really starts to take off, I mean, we could have a situation where demand is outstripping supply on the on the crude and the, you know, heating oil and and, and gasoline side.
1: It was really staying stuck in, around that seventy dollar a barrel price area for a while and seemed pretty comfortable there. With the expectation that a recession was kind of imminent right around the corner um, yeah. so yeah the last couple of weeks we've sort of let go of that a little bit and it's really started moving a bit higher around the same time the u.s dollar started dropping
0: yeah and it's this the the federal reserve today doesn't see a whole lot of weakness in the economy unemployment still below four percent and even you know we might be, be growing slower we're not in a recession and the longer this goes on the less likely you are going to be on a recession and eventually the economy starts growing again. So I don't know. I would be looking at like these 23 or June 24 for energy hedges because eventually the economy is going to start to grow again. And uh, my concern would be higher. My my concern would be higher energy prices in that environment.
1: All right. Well, that's our July market update. We'll be back with everyone in a few weeks for an August market update and see what the latest is. But for now, if you're on the, uh, on the buy side in the high protein wheat or the soybean oil, you might want to consider just reaching out, have a conversation with us or your advisor about strategies to manage potential upside price risk in the weeks ahead.
0: All right, Tom. Well, listen, this was fantastic. Thanks for everyone for listening. All our contact information is in the show notes and look forward to talking to you soon.
1: Good to be with you craig
0: the trading of derivatives such as futures options and over-the-counter otc products or swaps may not be suitable for all investors derivatives trading involves substantial risk of loss you should fully understand those risks prior to trading past financial results are not necessarily indicative of future performance all references to futures and options on futures trading are made solely on behalf of the fcm division of stonex financial inc a member of the National Futures Association and registered with the US Commodity Futures Trading Commission as a futures commission merchant all references to and discussion of OTC products or swaps are made solely on behalf of Stonex Markets LLC a member of NFA and provisionally registered with the CFTC as a swap dealer Stonex Markets products are designed only for individuals or firms who qualify under CFTC rules as an eligible contract participant and who have been accepted as customers of StoneX Markets. This material should not be constructed as a solicitation of trading strategies and or services provided by the FCM Division of StoneX Financial or StoneX Markets as noted in this presentation and podcast. Neither the FCM Division of StoneX Financial Inc nor StoneX Markets is responsible for any redistribution of this material by third parties or any trading decisions taken by persons not intended to view this material. Information contained herein was obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but is not guaranteed. These materials represent the opinions and viewpoints of the author and do not necessarily reflect the opinions and viewpoints of the FCM Division of StoneX Financial or StoneX Markets. Reproduction or use in any format without authorization is forbidden. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved.